the last chapter in this confession. And so if you are interested in uh, maybe going back, if you've missed some chapters, uh, everything is recorded and online on our, on our website. So feel free to maybe go back a few chapters if you want to dig into some topics. Um, if you don't have a copy, you've made it this far and don't have a copy, we still have a few left. So feel free to uh, grab one of those at the end. But this, this morning, in your handout, you'll actually see the three chapters that we'll be covering. Come on in, everyone. So as we look towards this final chapter, the last judgment, I want to begin with a word of prayer. So please join with me now as we pray. Our Father, we are so very thankful to have the opportunity to gather as your people on this Lord's Day. Lord, we praise you for who you are. God, we, from your word, are reminded in our experience of your steadfast love, your faithfulness, your mercies that are new every morning. God, we gather to worship you. And Lord, as we uh, open up your word this morning and look at chapter 32, the last judgment, and find where you have clearly laid out in your, in your scriptures uh, what will come at the consummation of all things. Lord, we pray that for those in this room who may not know you as Lord and King, that the realities of the return of Christ would, would be pressed upon their hearts and minds. The reality of all standing before the judgment seat of Christ one day to give an account. For those of us who are in Christ, I pray, Father, that this session will be a time of reflection and in time of encouragement as we realize how far short we have fallen of the glory of God, but rejoice in what your son, the Lord Jesus, has accomplished on our behalf through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And Lord, as we think about the final judgment, it also should bring comfort to those who have experienced injustice in this life. Father, that the, the one who rules and reigns will make all things right one day. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach us and apply these truths to our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, if you, hopefully everyone has a handout. What I did was uh, I copy and pasted what Dennis uh, started with last week in introducing eschatology. So that first little paragraph really is just uh, stolen straight from him. I think it was good to just lay out the meaning of eschatology, the study of the last things or the final things, um, the doctrine of the last things. And he did a great job looking at chapter 30, uh, 31 in the confession, helping us see what happens after death and looking towards the resurrection. Again, if you did not have a chance to, uh, to work through that chapter, I encourage you to go online and, and listen to that teaching. It was helpful. Um, and the way I wanted to start this, this chapter, before we look at the three paragraphs, I wanted to, to lay out for us three basic elements of New Testament eschatology. 
So you've got some blanks as we're moving through this session. And if you um, need me to repeat something, just raise your hand. We've got a, a small enough class, a little more intimate, where we can have some interaction as we go. I just want to make sure everyone gets all the, the blanks filled in and it makes sense. So three basic elements of New Testament eschatology. Number one, the Old Testament promise, that's that blank there, promise of a coming Redeemer was realized in Jesus Christ. So as we think about God's plan of redemption, in the old, there is the promise made. And when we look to the Lord Jesus, all of the promises made in the plan of redemption finds its fulfillment in Christ. So what was promised is realized in Christ. This is a prominent theme in the New Testament. Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection were fulfillments of the Old Testament prophecies. So when we look at the Lord Jesus, uh, we're going we're gonna to open up to Mark chapter 1 and read just two verses. We're going to see some uh, emphasis on the kingdom of God. And so uh, what you see there in the, in the handout, as we think about Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection... We see that there are fulfillments of Old Testament prophecies. The kingdom was promised in the patriarchs, foreshadowed in the judges, prefigured in the kings, prophesied in the prophets. With the first coming of Jesus, the first advent, the kingdom of God and the last days arrived, indicating that the Old Testament expectation had turned to the New Testament fulfillment. So I do want to get uh, a volunteer to read for us, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, if I could get a volunteer. Jason, thank you, yes. All right, so after John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Awesome, thank you. So in the ESV, it says the kingdom of God is at hand. So you've got... You've got a blank there. In Christ, the kingdom, or the arrival of Christ, the kingdom is at hand. So that's the first basic element, promise and realization, promise and fulfillment. Secondly, as we're thinking about New Testament eschatology, the study of last things, what was understood as one glorious messianic age predicted in the Old Testament was actually unfolded in two different ages. This is important as you're working through Old Testament prophecy and finding its fulfillment in Christ. So we have this age and the age to come. So part one, the first advent of Christ, we refer to that as the kingdom of grace, the kingdom inaugurated at the first advent of Christ. So Jesus is coming, marked the beginning of a glorious new redemptive age, with a corresponding set of blessings. Yet, this new age is not fully consummated and will be fulfilled fully in the future. So you've got part one and part two. Part two, the kingdom of glory. So part one, you think of the first advent of Christ. Part two, 
the kingdom of glory, the second coming of Christ, the kingdom consummated at the second advent of our Lord Jesus. So, as you're thinking and reading through Old Testament, if you don't have these categories in the right place, this age and age to come, part one and part two, you can get confused as you're working through Old Testament prophecies. One glorious messianic age predicted in the old, unfolding in two different ages. If I had a whiteboard, I would draw this out for you, but there is this idea of the present age and the first advent of Christ, and then you've got the second advent of Christ and the future age, and there's an overlap, and the Bible refers to those as the last days. We're living in the last days between the first advent and the second advent of Christ. If you come up to me after class, I'll draw it out for you. But it, it, it's, if we had PowerPoint, sorry. I didn't come as prepared as I should have. But important to see that overlap, that we're living in the already but not yet. The present age and the future age in some reality, in some aspect. But the full consummation of all things is yet to come until the second advent of Christ. And then third, the present blessings of the coming Redeemer. What we experience now in Christ are the pledge of greater blessings to come. So when we think about the last judgment, where we're getting to in this chapter 32, it's important for us to kind of set the context or set the stage in understanding what's to come in the second coming of Christ. It includes a threefold certainty. Christ will return at the end of the world, and we will experience the bodily resurrection, the final judgment, and the renewal of the heavens and the earth. Good morning. I want to read a little passage by a pastor and scholar, uh, Kim Riddlebarger. And you'll see a footnote um, down below uh, making a note of this particular book that is that is helpful, but I want to read a little passage from that book. Um, And kind of, again, this is kind of um, getting us prepared to enter into chapter 32, The Last Judgment. Christ returns with the heavenly host and gathers his elect from the four corners of the earth. His coming will be heralded, heralded by cosmic signs and the trumpet call of God, the sign of final judgment. In that day, the great prophecy of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13, will be, will be fulfilled. In my vision at night, I looked, and therefore there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. This is the day when the trumpet sounds and the angels gather God's elect from the ends of the earth. As the Apostle Paul explained... This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven and blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a reference to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. The trumpet call of God was an important theme in Paul's writings. For the trumpet will announce the long-expected day of resurrection. Paul also also told us, that the resurrection will occur in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. 
For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52. Paul also said, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud, com- a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This will be the day of judgment and resurrection and the restoration of all things. So the first advent and the final consummation at the second, um, at the second coming of Christ mark the comprehensive fulfillment of the expectation of God's redemptive history set forth in the old. So promised in the old, prophesied in the old, prefigured, and all finding its consummation in the return of Christ. Okay, that's where I wanted to begin in preparing us for what the confession has to say about the last judgment. Again, if you don't have a copy of the confession, I've printed the paragraphs out on the handout. So as we go, you'll have the, the words of the paragraph before you, along with the Bible references. Okay, so paragraph one. Would love, as I scan the room, to have a volunteer to read this first paragraph about the, the last judgment, the final judgment. Any takers? Charlie? All right. God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ, to whom all power and judgment is given by the Father. In that day, the apostate angels will be judged. So also all people who have lived on the earth will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and to receive a reckoning according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. Thank you. Those are powerful words. And uh, if you are looking down at your handout, rather than having to find the scripture reference, I I want us to look at Acts chapter 17, so I printed it out for you. One verse, but this one verse actually gives us a, I would say, a scriptural summary of what what this chapter um, is, is conveying to us. So Acts chapter 17, verse 31 says, Because he, being God the Father, has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed, the Lord Jesus Christ. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So this really even ties into last week's chapter. When we look at the resurrection of Christ, there are so many implications. One thing that, um, as I was listening to Dennis's teaching, one thing that could be added to, just to remind us, when, when the Bible, the New Testament, really begins to um, unpack the resurrection of Christ and all the implications for those who are in Christ, one of the, the, the ways in which it's described is Christ being the first fruit, or the first fruit, fruits of a harvest to come. So what Christ has experienced in the resurrection, we who are in Christ are part of that harvest. We're part of that that gathering of, of fruit, he being the first, we who are united with him by, through faith, 
uh, will experience that same experience, that same resurrection. He's the first fruits, and that's a guarantee for those who are in him to also experience the resurrection. That has nothing really to do with your fill in the blanks here, but I just got excited thinking about God the Father raising him, and that is actually an assurance on, a, on multiple fronts for the believer. But when we th- think about the, the last judgment, it also is an assurance that this is a, re- a reality to come. This will happen one day. So you've got five blanks there. The first is its author, and very clearly we see God the Father being its author. The second blank, its occasion There is an appointed day. There is an occasion. Uh, Third, we have its object. The object of this last judgment, the whole world. And we'll, we'll go into a little bit more detail there. Its object. Number four, its manner. We're told in this passage, in righteousness, God will judge. And then fifthly, its mediator, or who will be the one judging Uh, And it will be by Christ Jesus. If you've got your Bibles open, John chapter 5, as we look at the concept of uh, the last judgment. Just a few verses I want you to hear from John chapter 5. Starting in verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And so very clearly from Scripture, Jesus Christ is the one who has been appointed by God the Father on a fixed day to judge the world in righteousness. Now, just briefly, looking at its timing, the final judgment. What I want to emphasize, which I think the confession does a good job uh, when we think about the timing, clearly, and we'll look at some passages, no one knows exactly when Christ will come again. But when we think about the final judgment, we do see from Scripture that it's accompanied by other historical events. The coming of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, and the renewal of the heavens and the earth. And so you can know for certain when we think about its timing, may not know exactly when. We do know that when Christ comes again, these historical events will unfold before us. Now, I've got two larger passages, Matthew chapter 25 and 2 Peter chapter 3, where we're going to just for a few minutes spend some time listening to God's word as we think about uh, the concept of the last judgment. So two volunteers, knowing that you're going to be reading a little bit larger, Mr. Hall back there, Matthew 25, and I want to give everyone a chance to open up your Bibles and see these passages And follow along as they're read aloud. So Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. We'll start there and then um, I'll ask someone to read 2 Peter 3. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, 
then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? And when did we see a stranger, see you a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick, in prison, and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked and sick in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did it not do to one of the least of these, you did not do to me. And these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Thank you so much. The reason why I wanted us to, to hear that is because a lot of what is coming from paragraph 1 in the confession is found in passages like Matthew 25, 31 through 46, where so much in that passage is covered. There will be a day where all people will stand before Christ Jesus, the Lord and King of kings, and give an account for all that they've done. And there will be this separation between the sheep who are his and the goats who do not know him who do not love him, who do not serve him. And there will be an eternal judgment uh, upon every person who has ever lived. And we'll, we'll see that as we continue to, to look at some of the points um, in this outline. The second passage that I wanted us to, to hear in full, 2 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 13. So volunteer to, to read. Ashlyn, thank you. Let's give everyone just a second to get there. Um, chapter 3, 1 through 13, yes. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through water by the word of God. 
and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Thank you so much. It is good to hear the word of the Lord read aloud. So we've looked briefly at its timing, the final judgment. I also want us to look at, from the confession, its scope, thinking about the scope of this final judgment. Uh, one thing that is clearly emphasized is its absolute universality, meaning when we think about who will be judged, there is no one who has ever lived who will escape the judgment of Christ. Also, though, when we think about the parties that will be judged, we're told in the confession and in scripture that the apostate angels will be one of the parties that will be judged in the last judgment or on the last judgment. Um, a few passages there, but uh, Jude 6 is one that is helpful in, in thinking about fallen angels, apostate angels. Um, Jude verse 6, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. I don't know if you've thought about that before reading this chapter in the confession, but the scope of this final judgment even includes the apostate angels. Also, when thinking about the scope, I've mentioned this a few times, but I, I think it's really important for us to understand that the Bible makes perfectly clear that both believers and unbelievers will appear at the same judgment. Some uh, have different interpretations of God's word when it comes to this final judgment. I want to look at Romans chapter 2 and make sure that we're, we're anchoring what we're saying and what we're even seeing in the confession in God's word. And I do think that this chapter, uh, Romans chapter 2, and these verses, 6 through 16, are very helpful in, in seeing this from Scripture. When we think about the scope, 
and the universality of this final judgment. All right, anyone up for reading a little bit larger of a passage? We've had some good volunteers. Edgar, thank you. All right, so Romans 2, 6 through 16. Who will repay to each according to his works, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selflessly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and anger, there will be affliction and turmoil for every soul of man who works out evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who works good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law naturally do the things of the law, they is not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they demonstrate the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately, accusing or else defending them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. Mm. Thank you, Edgar. So that really um, also helps us as we look to the next little portion that has three blanks. All persons that have lived upon the earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ to give account of their thoughts, words, and deeds according to the confession, and to receive according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. Thoughts, words, and deeds. Now, some of us may be shaking in our boots as you really start to think about the judgment seat of Christ. And I think that's not a bad place to be in understanding how holy and righteous God is and how sinful we are. It makes the gospel sweet and beautiful when you understand what's at stake. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14 says, God, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. All will give account of their thoughts, words, and deeds. And when we think about this, uh, there is an, an important, um, I guess, category clarification to make here. Again, those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ makes an eternal difference when we talk about the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, Sam Waldron helps us here. But what I, I'm going to read a little portion from him. Uh, what I want to emphasize, though, is what you think about, what you say, and what you do does matter. There is this um, easy believism that is false, which thinks that if you've got your salvation card in your pocket, you then can do whatever you want while you live here on earth. And what Sam Waldron is going to help us understand is that actually is not biblical faith. That, that would be a life that would, that would not show a, a, a mark of a repentant um, life leading to life. Rather, 
one who has been fooled in thinking that um, you, you can cling on to what Christ has done on the cross and yet not lay down your life, die to yourself daily, pick up your cross, and follow him. So when we think about the judgment seat of Christ, what I don't want to do for the believer is cause you um, unnecessary weight of guilt, uh, um, a conscience that can't be clear before the Lord. But I do think it's very important for us to think about our life, thoughts, words, and deeds before our Heavenly Father. So hopefully after reading this, I can clarify a little bit more. So Sam Waldron helps us here. To assert, as many do, that such teaching that we hear from the confession, that both believers and unbelievers will give account for everything, is some form of legalism or salvation by works, is to disclose an ignorance of the fundamental aspects of the gospel itself. Salvation is not by works... But its whole point is to produce works. We are to be a chosen people, a holy people, set apart to bring glory to God in what we think, say, and do. So he goes on. Where a person's lifestyle is not radically altered, there is no gracious salvation at work. Our deeds, taken as a whole, manifest our character... And our character manifests our relationship to Christ and the presence or absence of faith in him. This is not works-based righteousness. This is the sum of each man's life. The one is a fruit of life that was marked by trusting in Christ and thus reveals or, or, or thus revealed to all the public what is good. The other is the product of a condition where this faith was absent and reveals the unbeliever as what is truly evil. So when we hear in those passages, passages that we read, you'll be judged by good and by evil. For the believer, this is the good news of the gospel. If you have placed your trust in Christ, when you stand before a holy God... You are not standing before a holy God justified in what you have done. But praise be to God, we stand before a holy God clothed in a righteousness not our own. Declared justified by what Christ has done. Remember, Christ living the perfect life that we could not live. Dying the death, experiencing the penalty that we deserved to, die, to experience. Being risen from the dead and now sitting at the right hand of the Father. When we look at Christ's person and work... The believer rejoices because we now stand before a God, giving an account, but knowing that we're clothed in a righteousness that is alien to us. It is imputed to us. It is Christ's righteousness. So when Sam Waldron, I think, helpfully explains this distinction between uh, a works that would actually just that would actually declare us one who is in Christ and works that would declare us outside of Christ and evil, our, our works, our thoughts, words, and deeds are actually the fruit of what God has done in us, has wrought in us. I hope you can see that. So when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for the believer, there is, there is hope, comfort, assurance, knowing that it is Christ and his perfect righteousness 
is what, what God the Father sees us as. We are, we are clothed. We are covered by the blood of the Lamb. And the fruit of our life that would testify to a repentance that leads to life will actually mark what God has been doing in us in his sanctifying work. Not what good thoughts, words, and deeds we have done that, that makes us right before God, but our life will give testimony to what God has done in us. For the unbeliever outside of Christ, every secret thought, every word spoken, every deed will be laid bare before a holy and righteous God. And this should make you tremble to the very core of your being, realizing that he is perfectly going to execute this judgment that will result in either eternal damnation or eternal life with him and the new heavens and the new earth. There's a lot at stake here, and it's a huge deal. So it's good for us to think about this, but to not be confused into thinking for believers that this is somehow a works-based righteousness. Rather, our fruit, our works, will testify, if we are truly in Christ, to his sovereign grace and work in our lives. Does that make sense? I don't want to lead anybody to confusion thinking that you will stand before the throne and it's all up to what you've done in this life, whether you will spend eternity with Christ or not. Praise be to God that that is not the reality. But whatever good is shown in our lives will just testify to his work in us. That truly we are ones who have borne fruit that will testify publicly to one who has been saved by grace through faith in the Son. So the last judgment will occur at Christ's second coming, will have for its scope all men who have ever lived, and will issue, the, um, will issue in the eternal state of either blessedness for the righteous or punishment for the unrighteous. Uh, Burkhoff, in his systematic theology, says this, On the basis of Scripture, it should be maintained the second coming of the Lord and all of these events that will transpire will be one single consummation of all things. The resurrection of the dead, the judgment seat of Christ, the restoration of all things. According to Burkhoff, and we believe it in Scripture, this will be all happening, consummated in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, paragraph two. I spent a little bit of time there in paragraph one. Maybe a little too much, but I got excited. And we really actually are out of time. This is horrible. <laughs> paragraph two. I at least want us to read the paragraphs. Oh, my goodness. I'm going I'm uh, to be in trouble with the other, other elders and those teaching us during Sunday school. Paragraph two. I'm going to read it for us. God's purpose for appointing this day is to manifest the glory of his mercy and the eternal salvation of the elect, and of his justice and the eternal damnation of the reprobate, who are wicked and disobedient. For at that time, the righteous will go into everlasting life and receive fullness of joy and glory with everlasting rewards in the presence of the Lord. But the wicked, who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, will be thrown into everlasting torments and punished with everlasting destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Do you all have any blanks there underneath paragraph two? Okay, you've got two. Just get these blanks real quick. They're important. 
in that paragraph, we see the manifestation of the glory of God's mercy in those who are saved by grace, the manifestation of the glory of God's mercy, and the manifestation of the glory of his justice, both very important. And I wish I could unpack that more. I'm sorry. Paragraph three, Christ desires that we be firmly convinced that a day of judgment will come both to deter everyone from sin and to comfort the godly more fully in their adversity. For this reason, he has determined to keep the day secret to encourage people to shake off any fleshly security and always be watchful because they do not know the hour when the Lord will come. And so they may always be prepared to say, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. You don't have any blanks for the third one, but I do hope that you spend a little bit of time looking at these last two paragraphs, meditating on them, reflecting on them. And with that, my apologies, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to just spend a moment thinking about the consummation of all things when our Lord Jesus will return again. And may we respond with this confession, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. And Father, as we transition into corporate worship, for those of us who are in Christ and have heard of this last judgment and the hope that we have because of our Savior, may we transition into corporate worship with um, hearts of doxology, of praise and worship to a God who would love us so much to send his only begotten Son to save sinners like us. Father, we praise your name, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed.